So um, I'm quite excited about um, talking about trees. I love trees. Before I start um, talking about the tree of life, which is what I'd like to talk about today. Oh, can I can have my thingy do. I've got a fun quiz for you. So, trees, loving trees. I want to see if you know either which film these trees come from, or even if you're really clever, can you name the tree? Right, who's this one? Tree bid from Lord of the Rings. This one. Wizard of Oz. It's I just put apple tree. Apple tree, isn't it? Wizard of Oz. Yeah, it's a bit of a sourpuss, this one. Who's this one? <laughs> Baby Groot, Guardians of the Galaxy. This one. Right, does anyone know the name of the tree? Grandmother Willow. Oh, you're good at this. You're better than you think. You know your trees. <laughs> It's the Whomping Willow from Harry Potter. Now, this one's been out more recently, so you might know. Yeah, a monster calls. I couldn't think of its name. Yew Tree. Right, this one's a little bit more. Avatar. Anyone know what the tree's called? Awa or Tree of Souls. Right, this one's a little bit harder. Hey! Shawshank Redemption! <laughs> this one doesn't have it, it's just called The Tree. But yeah, well done. So let me introduce you to The Tree of Life. And there's many different trees in films and stories that depict trees, and a lot of these, they personify them so they actually come to life. So in the Psalms, you hear of trees clapping their hands, and in Corinthians, you hear of trees singing. So it's, it's, um, the tree of life is a picture, an idea, a story of um, a tree that brings life. So I would like to um, introduce you to the tree, where it all began, in Genesis. So if you've got Bibles, you'd like to turn me to Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start reading at uh, verse 8. Um, Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruits. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then you get the river bit, which is uh, what Trevor did um, last two weeks. River flowed from the land of Eden, water in the garden. So verse 15. The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord had warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Then we're going to flit over to 321. It's just a turn of a page. 
or a scroll of your finger, depending on what you're using. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and Eve and his wife. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out and take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the garden, to the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. That sword sounds impressive, doesn't it? Um, two parts of the story. First of all, there's a garden, a beautiful, and now I love fruit. I love bananas and pineapples and, and all pomegranates and all sorts of fruit. You've got a garden that is just full and smells delicious and looks delicious and is just teeming with fruit. Um, and I always, as a child, misunderstood this verse. I thought there were two trees planted in the garden and Adam and Eve were banished from eating both trees. But it's only one tree, they said, that weren't allowed to eat. All the others they could eat as much of. The tree of life, they could eat as much of the tree of life as they wanted. They could partake in as much fruit from the tree of life as they wanted. Um, but somewhere on the line, Adam and Eve chose the wrong fruit. They, they partake from the um, tree of knowledge, the good and evil, and were banished. Because God says, I don't want them eating from that tree anymore. Because if they're like us, they might live forever. And then what's, that's going to happen. And yet in God's heart, you know he wants us to live forever. So there's something going on here. He's hiding the tree of life for a season. So where does the tree of life go? Does he get rooted up? Does it disappear? Does it vanish? Does it go back into heaven? What happens to this tree of life? Because he made it for us. So let's have a look, see if we can find it. It's there in the leaves of the Bible. Ooh, just see what I did there. Um, let's go to Genesis 12. Still in Genesis. Here's a different story. We've had Noah, we've had Tower of Babel. So it's still very early on in the Bible. People are still been, the relationship between God has still been broken. So this is a, one of the first times after Noah where God is recon, trying to bring some reconciliation in relationship. And see, let's see what's there. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old, crikey, when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarah, Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household, and he headed for the land of Canaan. When they arrived at Canaan, Abraham travelled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up a camp beside the oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Then underneath this tree, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, 
I will give you this land to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. There's a tree where there's relationship reconciliation started. There's a tree where promises have been made underneath. The name of this main mora tree means teacher. So under the watchful eyes of this teacher tree, reconciliation has started. Does it sound like somebody you know? Underneath this teacher tree, he promises to bless many people. And under this tree, worship begins. There's an altar built and worship's already started. And we see this picture through, I won't take you all through the verses, but I'll, I'll um, read you them quickly. In Genesis 8.1, we find Abraham under a tree where he's entertaining angels. So under this tree is an atmosphere of heaven. The culture under this tree is different, where angels and worship can carry on on the earth. It carries its own ecosystem where the kingdom comes, where heaven comes to earth. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 30, we see the tree of Morah, and it's actually increased now. There's trees of Morah in the promised land. And in this passage, in Deuteronomy 11, verse 30, it's the whole Moses passage where, where God's saying, will you, will you love me? Will you love and obey me? If you love and obey me, I can do you good, and all your family will be blessed, and all the people on the land will be blessed. Again, there's a reconciliation, a change, a restoration where God is trying to say, and he's saying in the promised land there's a tree. And in the tree there's reconciliation, transformation, and heaven's coming to earth. So here we have pictures of the tree of life, and it looks very much like Jesus to me. Um, And this tree of life, Jesus, is drinking from the source of the spirit. The, the river from the throne that Trevor spoke about. The river of love, the river of life is flowing through its body. It doesn't have veins. I wanted to say veins and trees don't have veins. Um, and, the, and this life and love flowing through the tree out into the world. And I'd like to explore the characteristics of this tree. Because it shows ultimate love. The love that um, we've been singing, overwhelming, unrelenting, amazing love. Because this tree, in order to be, to grow, has had to do something really drastic. Now, I got an allotment. Um, I've planted quite a lot of seeds. Some have grown and some haven't. Um, And I just go down to the garden shop buy a packet of seeds, what are they, 125, 250 if they're expensive, put them in the soil, they grow, some of them do, some of them don't. That's the cost to me, £2.50, to see something beautiful. I've got corn, I hope they grow. Sweet corn, I'm really excited about those. Growing into life. I've never grown a tree. But this tree of life has done something really drastic. Because the price it's paid for the seed is extortionate more than I think I would pay. Because it says in John 12, 23, the hour has come, this is Jesus, for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, 
it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who, who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus is saying that he came from heaven. Pure, beautiful, unpolluted heaven where his worship with God was face to face. And he came down into a muddy, polluted, moldy earth. Not only did he come down here, he made his bed in the earth and he chose to die there for us. That's how much it cost him to grow this tree of life. That's how unrelenting his love is. He became the tree in order to give us fruit. He died for you because he loved you. He lay his head in the mold. He lay his head in the pain. He wasn't frightened to be humiliated. Wasn't frightened of the pain. Wasn't frightened to have an earthly body. Wasn't frightened of the shame or the nakedness. He unclothed himself and slept and died in the mud for you to grow this tree. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. So this tree has grown out of the price of the Savior. And it brings a shade. Its branches stretch wide. Its loving arms of the branches cover anyone and give shade to anyone who comes underneath them. His love is just overflowing. And it says, Warren Buffett said, Someone is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. A life can be tiring, can't it? So tiring. Weary day-to-day tasks. Every time you do the washing up, someone else has drunk a cup of tea and you need to do it again. Tired of getting up, washing yourself, having to wash yourself again the next day because you're dirty. I get tired of disappointing myself. I'm tired of um, my, per- my one of my things that I, I really get frustrated with myself. I forget birthdays. I'm just so bad at days. And then I get really fed up and tired, disappointed in myself that I can't do that. I'm sure you must have things like that. I get exhausted of the pain and the mess of life, seeing other people in pain, feeling pain myself, physical pain, emotional pain. I'm fatigued by keeping up with other people's expectations of me. I'm drained by my own sin, my own anger, my unforgiveness, my cynicism, my judging. I'm just shattered sometimes and tired by putting on a mask and keeping up with a good image. Life is tired. But someone has laid down their life so that we can get shade and refreshment from all these things. Somebody laid down and died so that we don't have to live like this. It's a tree of life. He brings life and love to all of us. And not just us, to anyone who wants to come under his branches. He's a faithful presence. One thing about a tree, they're not like a grass or my lettuce in my allotment which comes for a season and then goes. A tree stands and grows slowly. And if you cut a tree, each ring is worth one season. You can get massive trees. Now, I've done some research. 
the oldest single tree they thought was called Methuselah in California. I couldn't believe how old it was. 4,765 years old. Now they think they found an older one that's over 5,000 years old. There's some in Wales, some yew trees that have been planted. They think they're between four and 5,000 years old. Now, this really blew my head away. Are you ready for this? Because trees clone themselves, and quite often trees aren't just... You see trees on their own, but actually trees aren't usually on their own. Their roots go down in a system, and they're connected. And trees clone themselves. So it's the same tree, but cloned. So there's a massive clone of a very old root system in Utah, which they reckon is 80,000 years old. It's 6,000 tons, and they reckon it's the oldest and the heaviest thing on earth. Trees. They're not passing away. They're a faithful presence. And Jesus is that faithful present. He doesn't come and go. He's not pleased with you one day and fed up with you the next. He's a faithful presence of overflowing love to you. He's a faithful presence of life to you, of shade, of rest, of somewhere. He's, he's, he's there all the time. He doesn't move. He doesn't run away. He's there for you. Um, and I have a funny example. When I was a child, knowing that there was a tree at the bottom of my road, it was just around the corner, and it had like a blob for a nose and two blobs for eyes. It honestly looked like Grandma Willow on the tree. Every time I walked the dog... I talked to the tree. No, yeah, I know I'm mad. I talked to the tree. And it was funny, the whole thing about faithful presence is because it was always there. And it was always ready to listen. And it, it was every time I went there, I'd spend time under its branches just talking to it because I knew that if no one else cared, at least my tree would listen. It's still there. I do sometimes go and talk to it when I'm home. Um, my tree. And it's like trees don't run away. They're faithful presence. So you can, yeah, you're right, I am crazy. Um, I want to show an example of how the, the tree of life worked and lived and came to earth and how we loved in a real way. So we're going to flip to a story, I love this story, in John 4. If you'd like to turn to John 4. Now, I want you to imagine that Jesus is a tree of life in this story, that he's a shade, he's an oasis in this town, that he's standing there. And this woman who he's talking to is coming under his shade. So let's read the story and you'll see what I mean. I'm going to start at verse 1. And I will start at verse 4. He had to go through Samaria on the way. To wherever he was going. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob as well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Must have been hot then. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. She was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. 
She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, this woman said, give me this water. I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband. Jesus told her, I don't have a husband, she said. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman replied, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim? where our ancestors worshipped. And Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when we will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit to those who worship him must so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. I think we'll leave it there. She he eventually tells her that he is the Messiah. But I want you to look at how this tree loves. This tree sat there, it's tired, but it's a faithful presence. And this woman comes underneath, and she's of a completely different race, and in fact she's an enemy of the Jew. He shouldn't be talking to her. It's almost like Jesus is a Huddersfield supporter and she's a Leeds fan. You you just don't talk to each other. I mean, it's it's just not what you do. And not only that, she's a woman. Men of his stature wouldn't be speaking to a woman. She's a different gender. She's a different race, different gender. She's a different age. Jesus just started his ministry, early 30s. She's had five men, is on her sixth. She's been around the block a little bit. I don't know how old she is. I mean, one man's enough for me. I don't know how on earth she's managed with six. Um, yeah, <laughs> like, crikey. Um, she's a different age. Completely different morality. She's a different place in life. She's had five men. She's living with a six. She's not even married to him. She's obviously been around the block a bit. I mean, she's a bit of a goer, as we would call her in a polite way. Um, and she's, she's, at the, <laughs> she's at the well. She's obviously got no servants, so she's not a rich lady. She's obviously fairly poor. She's having to do the work herself. So not only is it a different race, different religion, they talk about religion she doesn't understand what he's talking about she's saying how how can you we worship over here different race different religion different gender different generation different morality different um 
background is in finances. Yet he reaches out to her. He reaches out to her no matter where she is on a journey, no matter who she is, no matter how different she is from him, his love knows no bounds. His, his arching branches are for the whole of the community. His arching branches are for everybody. And she sits under this tree and he refreshes her. He tells her about the living water that, he, that Jesus is drinking of. He says, I've got living water. I'm drinking from this living water. I'm a living tree. Do you want some? And she's like amazed. She's tired. He's tired. It's the middle of the day. And yet there's refreshing going on underneath these branches. There's worship. There's talk about worship and spirit and truth going on underneath. There's a whole different atmosphere and ecosystem under these branches. In the middle of the Samaritan village, something amazing's happened because there's a tree of life there spreading its branches. It's sacrificial love. And I've written some things what I think that this looks like. The tree of life comes and plants himself among us in the real world. He brings life from the river, from the throne into our everyday worlds. He brings shade from the heat and refreshes the heart of mankind. He spreads its branches out indiscriminately in love over anyone who chooses to sit under them. Everyone belongs here. He lets anyone eat from its fruit, whatever their background and wherever they are on their journey. And the culture and atmosphere of heaven flourishes underneath it and around it. And this tree goes even further in its love for us, for you and me. Because we find that it's sacrificial love. We've already talked about him dying in the ground. But Jesus actually... um, Gave his life in a very public way. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay his life down for his friends. The tree of death meets the tree of life. Because all we could give this tree of life was a cursed tree. This cursed tree, this tree of death, was the thing that we hung him on. This is the only thing we knew what to do. But he chose to come down and do that. The tree of life on the tree of death. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree. That we being dead to sin should live righteous into righteousness by whose stripes we were healed. Because the tree of life died, we can now be healed. There's a beautiful hymn. From John Newton, 300 years ago, he says, I saw one hanging on a tree in agony and blood. He fixed his loving eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Oh, can it be upon a tree the Savior died for me? My soul is thrilled. My heart is filled to think he died for me. The tree of life is full of life. Because he drinks from the river. So although death tried to get its hold on him, the life inside Jesus just couldn't stop. It's like trying to cut up. Have you ever tried to stop a fountain? I do. Yeah. You can't do it. The life in Jesus is so strong it overcame death. It brought us from that place of death with him into a place of life. We're saved and free and brought into a place of life because he's in such an amazing, such an amazing tree. So I'm going to finish with four points quickly about the tree, and then we're going to break bread. 
I want it all to be, I want it to be Jesus-centered this morning. I want it to be about the him and his sacrifice, the fact that he laid down in the soil so that we would have shade and shelter and refreshment and life and real life. Um, so true love runs from this tree. Sacrificial love, unconditional love for you and me. You're loved. This tree comes into the real world, gets dirty in our mud, gets dirty in our manure, and grows. He expresses himself with people like the Samaritan woman by the well. He's not frightened of getting worried and messed up in people's pain. He loves people. He expresses himself, expresses his love. It's not just kept inside. He expresses. Jesus all the time expresses his love for all sorts of different people. It looks like something. And it's expressed everywhere. Love is released by stretching out its branches into the wild world everywhere. There's not one place that this tree doesn't reach. And it says tree. So let's spend some time face to face with this tree of life. Thanking Jesus that he laid his life down, that we could have real life. Because the tree of life has brought love into our lives. And he is the giver of love and the giver of life.